It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. I'm fired up, man. We're talking Go Fast Fun today, bro. All kinds of stoked. <laughs> That's right, man. And you know, when you say go fast, there's a lot of ways to go fast. But you know, in yeah. our hearts, man, you and I were on the same page. We 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 love the old school muscle cars. We love the new ones too. Uh, but you know, if there was really something that gets us pumped up. It's an old school muscle car, but we are performance junkies. So, you know, a number of years ago, things started shifting from, you know, pro street, uh, where it was, you know, very drag centric, very straightforward to pro touring, where things were, you know, G-forces in all directions. Man, that really got my blood pumping. I know yours too. And we've got one of the sort of forefathers, one of the guys that were, you know, groundbreaking and really developing pro touring. We've got Kyle Tucker. Yeah, man. Uh, from Detroit Speed today, man. It's going to be awesome. Dude, Detroit Speed is one of those names, man. You know you're going badass. You know you got top of the line stuff. Um, people that you, you know who runs a lot of Detroit Speed stuff? Winners, bro. Straight winners. <laughs> 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 oh, man, that's right. And, you know, they started out, you know, Camaro platforms, and they grew that real big. And, uh, you know, Ford guys were like, well, hey, what about us? You know, and they've just expanded into the Ford. They, they've got a number of platforms. These guys are growing taking that same sort of, you know, secret sauce recipe of, of going fast as hell uh, and being able to apply it on multiple, multiple vehicles, platforms, and generations, which is super cool because you're seeing these guys out there, good guys events, Optima events, track days, just ripping it up and hanging with the new school guys, which is totally cool. And dude, that's what makes it so cool is everybody appreciates loves the iconic lines the cool muscle cars and when you make those things go as fast as these guys can make them go handle and perform the way they do i mean just hanging in there turns chicanes talking mile per hour et lap time dude sticking to the road it's it's just so cool to watch these cars get out there and battle it out be it with their own kind or some of the more modern stuff uh watching an old car do unbelievable things is just it, it's everybody cheers for it man everybody's like yeah straight savage love it and and the guys from detroit speed make that happen yeah absolutely man kyle thanks for uh hopping on with us this is going to be fun for, i think for everybody um you know What's going on with your life, man? You've had some big changes the last couple of years. How's everything rolling with you? Yeah, no, thank you. And thank you guys for having me. It's always a blast and love following you guys and what you're all about in the industry. And um, I'm still in the industry. You know, there's been a lot of changes, but um, I'm, I'm like <laughs> any of you out there. It's, I'm a car guy. Um, I might as well be 16 again and driving my first car. I'm still excited about, you know, everything car, truck related and the industry too. Um, you know, but it's it's a different um little different day to day now. I'm more in the consulting role, um, engineering projects and and also the project shop um, for Detroit Speed. But it's been really cool for me to be able to, to, to take a step back and really know that I still love the industry, miss the industry if I'm not in it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just really excited to be still be here. Did you have any idea when you started Detroit Speed, when you were, you know, kind of taking that transition out of OE, that this thing would blow up as big as it is, that this sort of pro touring, you know, sort of movement would be as huge as it's gotten the last, you know, 10, 15 years? You know, I didn't. It, it was really just, Kevin, it was timing, good timing and some luck. Um, you know, my interest, um, you know, I grew up in a, in a car family. My dad had hot rods, like he's still a hot rodder. He loves the old school stuff. He has new appreciation for, I think, the products we have. But, you know, when I started, I, I wanted something. I grew up in the hot rods and street rods and, and I, I also raced. 
And uh, so I wanted a blend of that, you know, between the, the detailed car build and, and function and, and racing and performance. So um, I always looked up to Roger Penske and loved the Penske Donahue Trans Am era cars. And I guess the, the past and, and uh, the present at the time back then was all about what became known as pro touring. So I wanted a 69 Camaro. Stilo, Mark Stilo and I were in engineering school together. And of course, Stilo was a you know, a similar uh, path and, and thought process as I did that he took muscle cars and, and made them better. And, um, and while I was at GM and co-op and then full-time, you really learn, you know, what, what goes into a design of part, what goes into the, the development of parts to make it really perform and ride and do everything we wanted to do. And it was just good timing. I, I didn't know, I, I knew a recipe of what I wanted to do with my own car. And when my own car came out, it just, it just started to be able to, um, you know, fall in with, I guess, a lot of other interests out there. Yeah, man. Can we get in a little bit into that story, the first-gen Camaros, um, how you started changing them, uh, what was the first oh, wow that you guys really saw, and, and how the market ate it up. Uh, we got to take a break right now, but chew on that in a second. We'll come back and get your answers. It's Two Guys Garage Podcast. He's Kevin Bird. I'm Willie B. We're back after the break. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. We're talking to Kyle Tucker, Detroit Speed. And it was funny because earlier he mentioned he had a Camaro. And I got to ask, man, we look about the same age, boss. When when you first saw that Camaro or maybe you were in high school or somewhere around that ballpark, I imagine, that Camaro was such an iconic and just cool. And I mean, that was a flex cool car, you know, like Ugh, that car had a little uh, to it, you know. Um, when you first got that car, what what it mean to you be able to be the owner of a '69 Camaro? Oh, I was so excited, I couldn't sleep at night. You know, it's like one of those things you go right. out and make sure it's still there in the garage at night during the middle of the night. That was that was me. Yeah. And uh, it, it was a derelict, you know. I mean, it was had a quickie black paint job on it and rally wheels, but to me, it was still a '69 Camaro, and that's it was all me. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, man. I own a 67, so I feel you. They're beautiful. <laughs> um, so what was it that made you want to, you know, you said you and a, a partner of yours, you started working on improving that car. What, what was it that made you guys really take a big leap? What was it that made you want to start Detroit Speed um, at that time? Yeah, you know, Mark Stilo and I went to engineering school together in Missouri, and <clears throat> he was a couple of years ahead of me. And um, he, he had worked on some showroom stock teams, uh, going through college. So, I mean, he was all about some road racing and he liked Camaros, early Camaros. So we started just kind of working on our own Camaros and, and, uh, went in a direction that it wasn't just about drag racing. We wanted to autocross, we wanted to do road courses and, um, we cut up and destroyed a bunch of parts trying to figure out how to make it work. And <laughs> he built his car and we actually did one lap of America in it in the early nineties and, actually had uh, a ton of fun. Nobody took us serious. We didn't know what the heck we were doing, but uh, they started taking us serious when we won overall um, by about the fourth day up in Loud, New Hampshire. And uh, just a couple of, you know, hit kids from Missouri beating up on the BMWs and um, Elliot Forbes Robinson in a factory Viper. And (laughs) we just had a good time. In a 69 Camaro. Yeah, we did it in a 69 Camaro. Yeah, that's that's what makes it so wild, right? It was a hot rod. It was loud and obnoxious. It had a 406 small block in it, and uh, we didn't know what we were doing, but we weren't afraid of driving fast. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, as you progressed from the, the very early days, right, it sounded like you kind of knew what you wanted to do. 
what were some of those, you know, initial, you know, design steps? Like, you know, how did you get to kind of the, the mainstream products that we're seeing today? We're seeing out on the, you know, the road courses and tracks and events and such like that. So, you know, what was that evolution and how did you, you know, what was your approach on, cause you could see a lot of other people approaching hot rods for the last 50 years, right? right? And it, it's kind of modifying stuff, kind of making it better. And, you know, it looks to me from the outside that you just kind of looked at it and said, you know what, this stuff is 50 years old, 40 years old, whatever you started from and said, it's kind of junk. I need to do it at this level and I need to do it right. And I'm going to almost clean sweep it, you know? So is that kind of where you were at from the beginning or did you just kind of just keep evolving to that point? Well, it definitely evolved. But, you know, looking back 20 years ago, um, 23 years ago when I started Detroit Speed, and the cars, you know, the Camaro platform, first-gen Camaro platform was, you know, 30 years old. I mean, it's something that it, it was a clean canvas, plain canvas to start with. Um, they, they stopped terribly. They, they steered terribly. They didn't handle well. So, you know, some things that I learned at General Motors and was into racing myself, um, just started applying some simple concepts to, to the first-gen Camaro, you know, trying to uh, increase the spindle height, get the roll centers right, and at the time, you know, tires started making a big improvement. You know, the radial performance TA or tires in the day, I've always used BF Goodrich, but tire technology came so far that just bolting on a set of tires made a huge improvement in the cars. And then we wanted to make room for bigger tires and then take advantage of that with the front suspension, especially. So it evolved from, you know, the stock subframe with upper control arms um, with new geometry, better caster curves, better camber curves to lower geometry on the lower control arm. And this all, again, was based around the stock subframe. And we kind of maxed that out and, and uh, you know, we wanted more, we wanted more performance. So that's when we started designing the, the Hydroform subframe that we still make today. And it was definitely an evolution from those early parts that we still make today to, you know, Really, uh, if GM was making a 69 Camaro subframe today, that's how they would have approached it. That's how we did it. And it was a risk. You know, I didn't have any big capital in the aftermarket to fund this. It was just some big risks and some some entries at, in Detroit that I had learned about to start making some of these parts. And, and it worked. What, what was the big reaction moment? Did you take it to SEMA? Did you take it to a show? And what was the big moment where people were like, yeah, sign me up for one? Uh, was there a, a moment where you came home from a weekend and you had 100 orders? What, what, what was the deal? <laughs> no, I never got that 100 order, but I, I kept dreaming <laughs> about it. And my, I think my right. banker did. Um, no, it was something that, you know, if anything, SEMA definitely helped. SEMA's been a great outlet for me in Detroit Speed over the years. But I really think, uh, Willie, the thing that, that probably did the most for us was taking our cars. You know, we always had it, whatever product line we were designing for, we always had a test car. Like I, I bought a car. I'm a car guy. I always wanted a, a car. So it was a good excuse to buy a car to develop those, test those parts on, right? So looking back, that was just a golden egg for us to be able to take a car, put the prototypes on it, break the parts or make those parts better. And then once we knew they were at a, decent level we would go out and start competing at good guys or optima you know really almost before optima got started we were doing it and we would drive those cars to the track right so we'd drive all thursday to get somewhere beat up on the cars all weekend on the autocross or track and then drive them back Sunday night. And, and some of the best stories i think is like monday morning people would call and like dude you passed me on I-40 at like one o'clock this morning <laughs> and here you are in the office and I watched you all weekend on the track. I want that same stuff. And that was probably the key that we didn't know. We just wanted to do it. 
And that was our, our kind of bootstrap marketing at work. Yeah, that's grassroots yeah, right man. there, man. Hard work and good luck run hand in hand, bro. <laughs> right. It was a lot of hard yeah. work. And, you know, again, it was weekend after weekend. We would take those parts and whatever we learned, we'd make those parts better and go to production with. And the parts evolved. They still evolve um, again. But it, it was something that was probably the the biggest thing we did was we were just out there being geeky engineers, wanting to test our parts, but we were marketing at the same time. And um, it did a lot for the company in the early days. So the trajectory of the of the Camaro, um, that obviously opened a lot of doors for you. What was the next platform you decided to take a risk on? Yeah, so, you know, it was first-gen Camaro and then second-gen Camaro and then Chevy 2. Again, I grew up being a Chevrolet guy and working for General Motors, but um, we knew we had to get into the Mustang market, and I wanted to. So that was where we kind of stopped after those three platforms and um, really – both feed in on the Mustang program. Um, we built a 66 Fastback and um, developed several different products for it. Um, front suspension options, rear suspension options, mini tubs. And, uh, you know, again, just to give that car, some people just wanted the look, the pro touring look, so you could put bigger wheels and tires on. And some people wanted the look plus the performance. And we, we kind of tried to cover all of those categories. Yeah, you got the full lineup. Like, you know, you're not just buying a front suspension or a rear suspension or both. Uh, but you kind of have everything to basically bolt underneath the car to to make that thing perform like a screamer, right? From from your frame rail connectors, which are I think quite unique from others' approaches. Uh, you've got uh, your four link in the rear, your tubs, and even your tubs, right? It looks like you've got sort of a, a frame rail kick in to make room for that tire, but still maintain the integrity of the frame rail. Uh, not, not everything is bolt in, but it's, it's correct, right? It's what you would want to do. And like you said a minute ago, like it's almost what GM would have done from the factory if they were doing a modern version of the car. Uh, so you have like a complete, you know, you can buy pieces, but you can kind of just say, Hey, give me the treatment. And you know, when you've installed everything, you actually have a car that kicks some serious ass at that point. Yeah. You know, it you think about it in the early 2000s when we started and came up with new geometry and started building these parts, designing and making these parts, a lot of competitors in the aftermarket were still on the Mustang 2 program. And Mustang 2 is great for a lot of cars, right? But from a performance standpoint, when tires started getting more aggressive and um, people literally wanted to go to the track and, and make five sessions on a road course each day, you know, over the weekend, some of those parts just wouldn't hold up. So that's what allowed us to really beef up those parts, start with a clean sheet of paper design. And the, the Mustang program, again, had a, a lot to improve upon from stiffness. Like you said, those subframe connectors, the frame rail uh, supports, even the front frame rail supports. And when you put in our Aluma frame, all that stiffened the car to allow the suspension to work, the tires to work. And it was just an altogether different driving experience, not only on the street, but especially on the track. Well, it needs to be. It's a Mustang. What did I say that out loud? Sorry. Um, the, so after after you guys dove in with the Mustang and all them suckers ate it up, um, was it was there another platform that you, you you jumped to that surprised you that there was a you know the demand for it was so high you couldn't help but to 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 dive in? Yeah, you know. I guess we've kind of followed as the company grew and, and aged, we were following that, you know, if you get out of high school and you give 10, 12, 15 years worth of income that you're finally, you know, have a place to live maybe, and you've got a toolbox and whatever it is, you finally get to that car you wanted in high school. Right. So we kind of followed that trend and, and the third gen Camaro, the Fox body started coming up as we evolved into the nineties, you know, eighties and the nineties. And, um, 
the, the truck market was definitely one to answer your question was probably the one that we needed to get to the early C10s, the square bodies, now the Fords. Um, that, that's something that is so hot that uh, we were a little late to the game, but we've got some great products. Yeah. Isn't that amazing how that market blew up? Like still, even now it's just the explosion, the wave that first blast continues to carry outward. I, I don't know that how that slows down anytime soon, seeing the trajectory. No, I, I don't see it. You know, I, people think that, you know, you're going to run out of 90s muscle cars or, or, you know, even in the early 2000s for somebody to be able to modify, but it's always evolved. I mean, look where the industry's come from, from the Model A's and, and what people are doing in the flatheads. I think it's still really rich in our industry to be able to have a lot of products and a lot of growth um, and, and even the EV stuff coming. Kyle, Kyle, you're missing one huge demographic here. You see, look behind me, Kyle. You, what <laughs> I knew is you were going to bring it up. <laughs> you, you, what is this in the background? <laughs> Hello, big copper you know, <laughs> elephant in the room. I don't see, I don't yeah, see nothing, I see, man. I, I see I, trophies I see back there. Oh, there is a car there. Yeah, that, I see yes, no, B-body Chrysler over there. <laughs> it, it's definitely been on our list, and, and it's funny. We did a survey about five years ago, a customer survey of a – what do you think of our parts? What parts do you want to see next? What, what do you want to do? And by far, Mopar was the biggest. You got to do Mopar parts. Yeah, and man. There's, there's been some base parts that we've started to design, and, and it's definitely coming. It really is. Well, if you need a test car, 70 Charger, 70 Roadrunner, <laughs> you just let me know, man. Because, you know, I'm telling you, man, that market, especially when you look at some of the old Chryslers, Dodges, uh, the Chargers, the, obviously there's a, I feel like there's a decent aftermarket supporting cast for some of the e-body stuff but really a lot of those mopars there's not a, a a big place for them to go to when they want to do some of that road course autocross stuff i mean yeah they're bigger cars but man we like to we like to throw them around turns too man and i, I think there's a big demographic out there hungry for what you guys could do no you're exactly right and we see it we see people calling into the sales and our sales guys will sell them sometimes like the mustang aluma frame We've had several customers put those under the challengers, you know, and, and we've put our hydroform subframe, we've clipped it and put it under Mopars and we built them in the shop. So it's definitely a needed market and people are hungry for it. You're right. Yeah, man. I can't wait for you to do it. All right. <laughs> well, we got we to gotta take a break here in a second, but when you come back, man, I, I want to dive into what you think within your products is kind of the secret sauce. Like, like you mentioned, I mean, there's Mustang 2 stuff that's been around and you got a lot of guys that are, you know, sort of taking the next level up from that. Uh, but, you know, you've got some experience from, from all your racing, from your OE, from your, you know, circle of friends, et cetera, that, you know, I think there's a lot of hidden secrets within your products. And, and you can see it on the track as far as the ultimate proof. Uh, but maybe you can kind of, you know, walk us through a little bit of, you know, w what makes you guys stand out from, from the crowd. So sure. think about that a little bit. We'll, we'll catch up with Kyle here after the break. There you go, man. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. Kevin Bird, Willie B, back after the break. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And we have our boy Kyle Tucker in, the man behind Detroit Speed. Just talking about the evolution of Detroit Speed. Man, where they really started, cut their teeth at, all the excitement through the years and what he's really done with that company and how he's evolved it. It's really cool to see all these skews and watch the company grow, especially being your baby, right, Kyle? You had to go from like a high school dream of you and your buddy hot riding to, to something that you made a, a damn nice career out of. And you not only did that, but you helped so many people enjoy um, their dream car. And you made that come true for a lot of people. Well, thank you for the kind words there. It's it's really been something I'm 
thankful to be in the industry to make my, you know, friends are all over the country, all over the world that we've had as customers and um, whether we sell parts to or we compete with on weekends, it's a, it's a very cool industry. And that's why I'm so excited to still get anybody new, young generations into our industry because it's been such a gift to me. Before the break, I was posing to you, right? You guys show it every weekend on the track. Uh, from your, you know, your experiences to, to all your customers are out there showing the same sort of, you know, speed, cornering, handling, and uh, total performance. So, you know, in your evolution, right, the products that you guys have out there now, what do you think is that sort of, you know, secret ingredients or extra features or details that kind of put you guys above the rest? You know, when we first started, um, again, like I said earlier, there was a just a lot of room for improvement, not only in the cars we were working on, but even our competitors. And I'm not dissing on our competitors or we're better than anybody else, but we were an engineering driven company. Um, from my experiences and what I wanted to take the company to, it was engineering based. It wasn't marketing based. I didn't know anything about marketing. I had to learn about and hire people that knew how to do financials and to be able to run the business, help, help me run it. Dude, uh, Kyle, everybody knows marketing. Put a pretty girl holding your product, tell them, <laughs> tell them to wave. Yeah, exactly. It works. It's crazy. That helps too. Or, or, or a good looking Camaro, <laughs> yeah. right? Mustang. But, <laughs> right, right. Exactly. But if, pretty girl in front of a pretty car. There you go. Win, win. <laughs> there you go. Double, double. But if it's a pretty car and a fast car, it helps too. So, um, you know, yeah, really, yeah, it was always, Kevin, it was always just engineering based and we sweated the details. And I, I think some of us, just from my experience, how I grew up racing, and work, you have to work so hard to be prepared, you know, to go to the track and, and try and outwork someone, you, you can kind of make your luck. And I, I think we approached our engineering the same way. You just out, tried to outwork everybody else. And I'm not saying just in design, but it was how we designed the part um, and what we wanted to do. We wanted to not only be superior in how it just handled and drove and steered and stopped on the street, you know, to be, you know, comfortable and, and easy and safe feeling, but also on the track to have that capacity that a customer may never experience, but it gives you that hint that this car will handle. And and we did that by just a lot of engineering and we sweated, like I said, all the details in our upper control arm. I always think that if I ever needed to sell someone on one of our parts, I could just take one of the parts and just do a deep dive on it, like our upper control arms. You know, I mean, we scratch made everything except for a, a moot ball joint, and Zerk fittings. So we would make the cross, stainless cross shaft. It had caster adjusters in it, so you could adjust caster independently of camber. Um, had Delrin bushings instead of just urethane bushings. And the, the Delrin is something that it doesn't give off a, a harsh ride. It still can be quiet. It's long-term, very durable, um, and, and a lot of course performance-based because it doesn't have a lot of compliance, but it doesn't have the squeak and, and all the the heat effects that a urethane can have, right? So, I mean, we we analyzed and sometimes overanalyzed every single component of every subcomponent, right? To be able to make it better than than what we thought was out in our industry. And we wanted to make it right. We, we set out to make the best part known and we didn't do it from, hey, it's got to cost this and work backwards. We just clean sheet of paper. This is how we want to do this part. And then we had to figure out how to make it marketable and price point so we can make a little bit of money, but make it, at a market rate that people could afford to buy. And, and I'll be honest, our parts were always on the upper end, but there was a lot more that always went into it on the engineering side. So on your quest to become the juggernaut that you are on the autocrosses and road courses, how many people did you convert over? How many people after you, you stomped them, after they watched you, you know, uh, sort of continue to scale up, um, how many people 
started racing with your products and came to you for for development on their car? You know, it was a lot. I mean, like hundreds. And, and that was kind of the beauty of... <laughs> that had to be pretty cool. <laughs> it was. It was funny. You know, we would have our, our trailer there to, to to market our parts, our displays and everything. And then say at a good guys event where we were in the country that weekend. And we would have our displays and we have our sales guys and we could, we could sell parts right off the trailer. But as soon as that autocross cranked up, we would try and have our trailer in a vendor spot close to the autocross. And, and people were at the booth, you know, we kind of double teamed customers. They would come to the booth and, you know, maybe wanting to ask the sales guy or girl, what kind of parts, what kind of parts we would need. And they would say, just go tap on Kyle's shoulder and go over the autocross and go for a ride. And I always joked, you know, after, as soon as that ride was over, you know, it was the anticipation. A lot of people hadn't been in a car like an old muscle car that handled like that. And, and you watch an autocross and it's not that exciting, right? But it's one car on a track and it looks slow until you get somebody in the seat. If they've never done that before, it, the, the <laughs> oh, G-forces man. and everything going on. I mean, it's loud and it's obnoxious. It's quick. And um, it really surprised people like, wow, I had no idea a Camaro or a Mustang or Chevy 2 could do this. And literally their, their credit card would almost fall out of their pocket, you know, and then I'd hand it back to them. They go to the booth and buy parts. <laughs> Third date with my wife, I took her to an autocross that I was hosting that I was in and put her in a couple of seats of pro racers. Man, she came out of that in love. I think actually she told me she loved me that night. I'm almost certain. <laughs> so yeah, man, you're, you're right. It, it's got some magic to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. So I, I want to pry a little bit because you know, you, you kind of addressed my question, but at a very high level, right? You know, and, and we know, and I know, um, being an engineer myself, we, we, we sometimes overlook um, explaining details to other people about the work that we've put into a design because it's just part of what we do. But when you can express it to somebody else outside of your brain, outside of your circle, there's usually like a, holy crap, I didn't realize what went into that, you know? Right. And, and so, you know, I don't know if you can pull it out somehow. Um, and it's, it's always a thousand things. So, you know, pulling out the top things, what do you think is key that when you get in one of your vehicles versus, you know, somebody else's is what makes it that extra edge, right? We know it's the hard work and the details, but you know, you mentioned the camber curves, um, you know, roll centers, uh, is it stiffness, you know, all these it's factors. The driver. <laughs> well, we know that that's it's, a big it's player. It's the driver because, yeah, you got to get somebody to exploit what that car can do. So, uh, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Um, uh, yeah, but so, I've seen a lot of different vehicles with your with your gear in it and uh, with different drivers, and they're doing pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, but well, your, your secret kind of formula, like, uh, you know, total body stiffness, uh, localized stiffnesses, uh, you know, those, those types of things. It, it is. And to answer your question, not to be vague, but, but it is, it's, you're right. It's a thousand little things. It's, it's all the little things that add up to the sum that makes it better and makes it one of the Detroit speed parts. But yeah, beyond the adjustability in a suspension system, right? You, you have to have one, the platform, the frame stiff. You have to have the attachment point stiff. You have to have the control arms, um, say in a front independent front suspension, you have to have the geometry where it maximizes the tire contact patch, right? So, I mean, there's certain laws of physics that you just, you don't argue with that you keep a flat contact patch depending on what you're doing. And it's always to balance between a street car and have the range of adjustment to be a track day car, you have to have a lot of adjustability. So we would, we would again, start with a stiff platform, um, work through the geometry, give a ton of adjustability for a customer to do as much 
or as little as he or she may want with their car. But then it's all the details, like I said, between the camber curves, the caster curves, Ackerman, steering Ackerman was highly overlooked in the aftermarket for so many years that I could almost watch some of the companies as they first started autocrossing, go around an autocross course. And I've seen literally some squeal the tire backing into a parking spot back in the grid of the autocross, right? And you look at it and you know why that happened is because the Ackerman steering air is so far off it's just scrubbing the tires, right? Rather than rolling along the radius. So it, it, it's it's things like the Ackerman, it's the roll center, it's the spring rates, the shock valving. As things got more competitive, it's even more in the spring and shocks and tires. But even the steering gear, down to the steering gear, we spent a lot of time in steering gear um, to get the feel right, you know, to give that heavier feel in the torsion bar to adjust the spool valve so it was quick enough, so it was balanced on center. So in other words, when you go off the exit ramp or you go into a left-hand corner at the road course, you're not guessing when you turn the steering wheel, what the front tires are going to do and when we knew exactly that it's like blueprinting an engine that you turn that steering wheel two degrees off center to the left. And and that's what the the feedback is to the tires too, is it's going to go two degrees to the left and the same to the right. And, And you start looking at that and really doing deep dives on all these subcomponents that make up a suspension and full chassis package, there's a thousand little things that you can make better. And it's the sum of those that make it right. And it's, it's all really in the details of the geometry down to the ball joint, right? What, what the um, instant center can be uh, that ball joint, how it can affect the instant center and the roll center of the car, but how the front roll center works with the rear roll center to make sure that the weight transfer even works right. So it's, to me, it's fascinating. It's always been a lifelong study of me, um, to, of mine to be able to, to know more and, uh, and to build a better car because it makes you a better driver, right? It makes it easier to drive if the car works right, but it makes you a better looking driver if the car's working right too. Amen. You know, Kyle, it's funny. I got a two and a half year old and we're doing all those connect the number drawings, you know? So you just turn the page and there's 50 numbers on there and, and you connect all the, the numbers up and, you know, and it's a, you know, it's your all's subframe connectors or a control arm or your your k member and and all that stuff man it's really cool to see all the little points that you you point out is like each a number we did something different here we improved it here we did it here um and like you said the sum of all those makes for a really righteous product something i'm sure you're proud to have your name on and something that you know in the industry we look at your stuff man as some of the best stuff uh people can get their hands on so that says a lot man well thank you and you know i think early on too we, we found the recipe, right? So, I mean, we, we learned on the early Camaros and the second gen Camaros, cause that was our two really first starts on product um, applications. But what we learned in those and, and spending so much time on the track and the street, driving these cars to and from the track each weekend, logging thousands of miles you know, on the street and thousands of laps on the track, we found that base recipe that, that worked for the compromise, not, not really a compromise, but I should say, a segment that was easy to drive and comfortable to drive on the street, but again, gave that range of somebody that wanted to be buy our parts and go win a a class at a track day or an autocross, they could have that capacity in the parts. But we applied that known recipe to each platform as we started designing more parts. It it even goes into the trucks today. Yeah, it's a different track width. It's a different wheelbase, um, different weight, but it's still the same type of geometry that we apply to it to make it work. And isn't it cool to see everybody respond to your products because the market just continues to grow. I don't think muscle cars are ever going to go out of style. I still see them. You know, I saw a kid driving a Mustang the other day, you know, in old school, you know, fastback. And I'm like, that's pretty righteous, man. Uh, I feel like it's they're going to be around forever. And 
upgrading the performance to make him handle and perform and drive um, like you guys do is such a bonus to him because the lines are iconic um, and, and they never get old. Uh, and, and it's just kind of cool to see him that awake, alert, and, and running with today's modern cars. Because, you know, modern muscle is legit, man. When you go out there and stomp it in a 69 first-gen Camaro, you're saying a lot. It's been funny over the years. You know, we'd take our, our muscle cars to the track and do a track day and at a new track somewhere before they knew our company. And when we first started, there would be like the Porsche Club of America there or BMW Club or somebody. And you'd be in the driver's meeting and they'd see our car over in the grid area. And they, they always looked at me when it was like, hey, this is how we're going to do point, you know, pass bys. We need to point when somebody's ready to pass. If there's a car faster than you behind <laughs> you, make sure you point and a faster car will take you over. They look at me, right? I'm like, that's fine. That's good. And by about the end of the second session, they're all over <laughs> one of our cars, whether it was a Chevy 2, which nobody expected, um, or a Camaro or a Mustang. They're like, how do you make this car go like this? And, you know, they, they think it's all motor, right? Well, what motor do you have? Well, it's, yeah, it's a good motor, but it's it's the whole package. And we embarrassed a lot of people over the years, which is kind of fun, you know, with the old muscle car. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's, 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 yeah, that's one of my favorite parts. Uh, you know, cause again, you're driving old stuff and it's got nostalgic to it. It's, it's cool. Uh, but it, it's not as cool when right. someone just blows your doors off. Uh, but when you can, <laughs> when you can be cruising around, you know, you got that whole, like, check this out. What the hell is that? And, and you just smoke somebody and they, they do that, you know, rubber right. neck, like what just happened and how did, what? And they can't even, the gears right. are grinding. It doesn't make sense. Like. How did that thing that how did that old jalopy of a thing just smoke my little beamer, right. whatever you're driving, you know, it's, right. <laughs> they got to go back home and make a monthly payment on it. <laughs> hey, Kyle, um, how do people find Detroit speed online, man? Where do they go for answers for products? Kind of cue us up there before we run out of time here, boss. Yeah, definitely go to DetroitSpeed.com and you can go on the Holly um, Performance Parts website and find everything there too. But it's easy to find on social media, all the major platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and and all that. And all the parts are there. Yeah, what's your home phone number for us Dodge guys to call you and be like, <laughs> hey, I got a B-body. You let me know. <laughs> um, no, man. Uh, so DetroitSpeed.com, that's where to find it. You can also find our show, uh, Two Guys Garage, Eric Weekends on the Motor Trend Network. Check your local listings. It's also available on Motor Trend Plus, which is a streaming format. Great way to find us. Thanks for our guest, Kyle Tucker, the man behind Detroit Speed, man. Their products are freaking fantastic. It's just awesome stuff. DetroitSpeed.com. Here's Kevin Bird. I will be a producer, Scoop, and executive producer, Bob Ecker. Don't forget to check out our website, too, at twoguysgarage.com. Share your thoughts with us. We're on social everywhere, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Two Guys Garage. Now, Two Guys Garage podcast, it's copyrighted, 2023, Brenton Productions Incorporated, all rights reserved. Seriously, Kyle, I'll have a B-body at your front door, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep, keep you in mind on that. You're at the top of the list, all right? <laughs> Right on, right I appreciate on, it. Man. I appreciate it. <laughs> hey, man, thanks so much, dude. You were great. It was awesome to catch up with you, man. We'll catch you guys on the next Two Guys Garage podcast. Two Guys Garage podcast is produced by Britain Productions. For more episodes, visit iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.